It's all about global citizenship. It's about getting everybody together. This week, my guest is my very good friend, I'm pleased to say, and colleague, I'm also pleased to say, Nabus Momanikarawa. And uh, Nabus is the executive director of the Phoenix Islands Protected Area Trust, which is, to me, the most important title that you have. However, when you refer to people, you always go back to their highest title that they've had in their lives, and they are allowed to be addressed as that. And yours is minister. You were elected member of parliament and were the finance minister for the country of Kiribati, which is the largest atoll nation on the planet. And you're uh, a tremendous... Uh, political background and leader, and now you're one of the pillars of civil society in Kiribati, and it's so great to have you this week on the show. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's certainly uh, great to be here, too, uh, Greg. Yeah, well, it's good to have you. It's always You always give me a uh, big smile when I'm with you, and you're here visiting me in L.A., which is a little unusual. Usually I see you on the, the, your home island, uh, or islands, mm -hmm. of Kiribati, and I think our listeners would probably like to know a little bit about the country of Kiribati. It's the largest atoll nation in the world. It straddles the equator, and it starts in the west in the Gilbert Islands, and then it stretches through the center in the Phoenix Islands, and it goes all the way to the Line Islands in the east. Now, it's gigantic. I mean, you go from one end to the country to the other, it's like going from New York to Los Angeles. And the area of ocean that this nation controls is over 3 million square kilometers, which is you know, it's like three quarters the size of the continental United States. And there's 120,000 people there. To me, it's the most important, relatively unknown nation on the planet. Yes. What does the ocean mean to people of Kiribati? Well, the, the ocean is actually everything for us. Because we, we, when you're actually living on, on the land, you look this side, yeah. you see the sea. <laughs> you look on the other side, it's the sea. It's the sea around you all the time. So as the... the, the most of our life is about the sea rather than the land. That's right. Yeah. Let's walk our listeners through exactly what the islands are like because they, yeah. they're atolls. If you walk from one side of the island to the other, how wide is it? How long does it take you? Well, uh, let me describe it this way. Yeah. If you were playing uh, tennis, I mean uh, tennis yeah. on the island, and you have the lagoon side here and the, and the ocean side on the other end of the tennis court, you, you risk losing the, uh, the tennis <laughs> okay. ball in the sea. I love the sort of geomorphology of atolls. They're, they're, they're generally round. It'll take you quite a while to drive around the island, but it'll take you just minutes to drive from the ocean to the lagoon. So there's generally a lagoon in the middle, mm -hmm. and there's a strip of land surrounding the lagoon. And your nation, your history, your mm -hmm. culture, your mm -hmm. people have been there for thousands of years, right? Do you have any idea how long... The ancestry goes back on these islands. Well, when when we trace our lineage and the, uh, we go back to as far as, uh, as somebody not human. So, uh, even it's we go back to the original uh, creator. So okay, that's right, how I far want to hear we more about that. Because, I want to hear more about that. So we don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, uh, how many several thousand years perhaps. Yeah. yeah. When we lose memory of what, uh, how we came about. So. Yeah, that's so. It. That's wonderful having those kind of roots. You know, it's. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, the, the term is indigenous culture. That's right. And yeah. uh, I'm I'm a bit envious of it because, I come from a transplanted culture. Mm. But yours is truly of that place, of that area, for many thousands of years. I mm. actually think the, the anthropological evidence goes back some ten or fifteen thousand years. Mm. It's interesting what you said that it goes back to the pre. You said human phase. Mm. And I'm wondering, uh, are there like gods about the ocean or spirits about the ocean? I mean, 
what's the what's the cultural uh, belief system in Kiribati? If you could just tell me a little bit about that. Okay, let me take you to the uh, uh, typical village. Yeah, and still that's great. Uh, Give me a village. Typical tour. village. Yeah. And uh, we have this meeting place, a very important meeting place, which is called the Maniaba. Okay. It's like a, a meeting hall yeah. with no wall. Uh, and uh, that Maniaba, on the western side, will be the, uh, uh, the position for the visitors. And we call that side the Sharks section of the Maniaba. And on the eastern side, which is on the land side of the, of the Maniaba, is the Tabakia. Tabake is like the uh, the guy who lives on land. So we were always a shark, and we're also somebody from the land. Okay. So that's what it is like. Yeah. Oh. So we're, we're from the ocean. I've heard Kiribati described as a maniaba culture. Mm-hmm. Is a term that I've heard. Can you tell me what that means? It symbolizes the, uh, you know, the, the community, how the community is set mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most important uh, place to where you find. Uh, uh, people, how they are organized, and where the the society is actually uh, also controlled and organized in the, in terms of uh, if they have problems, they will take it to the Manaba, it will be settled there. Mind you, though, we don't vote. It's okay. always uh, based on uh, consensus. Okay. So they will wait until the, everybody agrees. What mm. a great way to be. Yeah, these these Maniabas, I guess we'd call them a meeting house yes. or, or a central mm-hmm. uh, public building, let's mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. However, these are of designs thousands of years old, and mm-hmm. I'm, al- I'm always impressed by them. They're perfectly designed for that habitat mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Th- they've got a high ceiling, mm-hmm. which draws the heat up, right? Yeah. So they're, they're sort of natural air conditioning. And then the, the beautiful tropical equatorial breezes come through and cool you off. Yes. And then, the, of course, the roof keeps the rain off should there be any rain. But the cultural sort of social uh, importance of the Maniaba has always impressed me, too. And no one can be turned away, I've heard, from a Maniaba. Is no, that right? The name of the, the place, which is Maniaba, means like a, a welcoming everybody and uh, accepting everybody. That's, that's, the, that's the, the meaning, the, the actual, the literal meaning of the word maniaba. So if somebody yeah. in the village like uh, is down on their luck and doesn't have income or food, can they go to the maniaba? They can go to the maniaba. They'll get shelter, they'll get food. And I know as a visitor, I'm always treated just wonderful inside the maniaba. And uh, it's, it's, a really, it's a really wonderful culture. And then I've also heard that there's, you know, your ancestors have... Uh, developed incredible navigation techniques to get mm-hmm. across the ocean. Yeah. You know, your ancestors ruled the seas, essentially, thousands of years ago. Before mm-hmm. Europeans figured out how to put a sail on a boat, your ancestors were navigating many thousands of miles across the ocean. And I've heard that the construction of the Maniaba somehow has some of that information encoded in it. Is that, tr- is that right? I'm not quite sure about that one. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. I'm not quite sure about the, uh, the, the navigational... The, the, Value of the Maniaba, yeah, but uh, it's, it's certainly uh, the skill is available there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it certainly belongs to certain families, and but that has been kept uh, over the years. And uh, uh, you inherit it because uh, it, it's your family's uh, um, skill. So I see. Yeah. Oh, so if your family yeah. has the skill set to build sets. a Maniaba, yeah. you yeah. kind of inherit that. Yeah. yeah, I see. That's amazing. Uh, another Kiribati friend of mine once said to me, yeah, you know, the ocean is where we belong. It's where we're most comfortable. We just use islands to park our canoes at night. <laughs> <laughs> and you you really do have an amazing boat building and sailing culture as well. I've heard you've got the fastest canoes in the Pacific. Is that true? Yep, they are canoes with the outriggers. And they, uh, these are pretty fast. 
mm-hmm. but very difficult to also handle. Yeah? So you've got to be very skilled. Yeah? How it is built is also very, uh, it takes a lot of Kind of like the Maniaba, it's yeah. got a construction. And sailing it also, because it's it's not like uh, you can sail straight into the wind and, uh, and, and turn a 360 around. Okay. Okay. Uh, you have to be able also to move the sail from one end to the other without dropping it, and then sail back, sailing back into it. Okay, all yeah. right. So, yeah. Current political structures in the Pacific have, what, 17 nations? 17, 16, 17 nations in the Pacific. Is that, mm-hmm. is that about right? Kiribati is one of them. One of the Pacific island nations is what uh, referred to. Tell me about your neighbors, just to orient our viewers, as to, our listeners, as to where you are in the Pacific. Well, we have the, the, the closest neighbors would be like the Marshall Islands. Mm-hmm. And that would be the north. And, uh, of course, uh, we have the... Uh, uh, Tuvalu, also the, 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 towards the south and the, the west. Yeah, the, those would be the closest ones. And Fiji is uh, it's, it's quite a quite okay. a distance away, uh, but we're very we're more associated with the Micronesians, Nauru says. Okay. And the FSM and uh, the Marshall Islands are are more you know, related to us. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at a map of the Pacific Ocean, I always like to say, right in the middle of the Pacific yeah. is Kiribati. Yes. And you actually occupy, what is it? The four hemispheres. All four, All hemispheres. four hemispheres. And I think you're the only country in yeah. the world that does that, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. What I find so relevant and important about about your country, Nabus, right now mm-hmm. is that in this age, we're finally understanding the value of the ocean. The United Nations has passed uh, sustainable development goals around the ocean. The areas that we're protecting have increased. We understand now that climate change is regulated primarily by the ocean. Mm-hmm. We also know that most of our oxygen is produced by the ocean. So I find society is now turning towards nations like yours for leadership. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kiribati has shown tremendous leadership in the creation of the Phoenix Islands Protected Area. And I wonder if you could tell our listeners a little bit about that. You know, what is it? What does it mean? And uh, what is your job? We have three island groups in Mm -hmm. in Kiribati. We have the Gilberts Group. And we have the Phoenix Group and the Line Group. The Phoenix Group is com- is comprised of eight islands, and when you talk about the protected area, you're talking about an area about four hundred and eight thousand square kilometers. Uh, that's the the protected. That's area. about the size of California, yeah. just to and, orient. And, and uh, only one of those there. islands is uh, is uh, currently inhabited, which is Canton, which is uh, maybe uh, you're talking about forty inhabitants and uh, residents. But they're not actually residents staying there forever. They are caretakers. Okay. So they, they, they change every so many years. Okay. So it's an area of the, of the ocean like the size of California mm-hmm. with eight islands, and there's mm-hmm. 40 people that live there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I have to also, you know, full disclosure, you, know, you and I have worked on this together, mm-hmm. and I know the mm-hmm. islands quite well, and you and I were just there uh, on an expedition. And mm-hmm. what do the Phoenix Islands provide the world? Um, in terms of values, from your point of view, let us start with the uh, what actually happened in the beginning. Okay, it was a it was a closure of the area to commercial fishing. Yep, and of course we can we can fish. We we can have the the fishermen from overseas, also the distant water fishing nations. Uh, right, to t- they can't take the tuna, and tuna is a is. A, that's where our money is. That's where most of your economy comes from. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, you're talking about uh, finance for the whole government budget 
of about almost 90 percent yeah of the budget. and you know from being so, the finance minister that's a yes that's so, a tremendous sacrifice, a tremendous sacrifice. Is, to, is to or let's call it a risk yeah. to uh most of your revenue to run the government to pay for mm. health care education all that mm. comes from yeah. selling access to tuna mm. to foreign nations and kiribati shut down an area the size of california from right. from foreign fishing now that's just an extraordinary thing yeah. really i can't think of another nation in the world that would mm dive into its most profitable activity and restrict it. So why did Kiribati do this? And what are the benefits to the nation? And what are the benefits to the world? Well, it was quite that we, we had some mixed uh, uh, understandings in the, in the first place. But we, we, it was uh, something that we had to offer. It was uh, our gifts to humankind. Uh, but uh, not most people understood at the time. Uh, I think uh, there was also a perception that uh, that even though we would be having some sacrifice, that we would have also the corresponding commitments for for those people in the, in the global community right. who would be benefiting from the uh, ecosystem services uh, that the closer PIPA would be uh, providing. Now, yeah. let's dive into that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Ecosystem services, that's kind of a, mm -hmm. a big mouthful for, mm -hmm. for some people. But what you mean by that is the the health of the ocean, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the, we talked earlier that the oceans provide all these things to the world, and the world has gotten a lot smaller, and I like mm. to call the oceans the life support system of the planet. Mm. And we've been treating them pretty badly, by and large, globally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And here Kiribati has taken a very big chunk of the oceans and said that we're going to look after it, we're going to protect it, and you've made it, a, you said, a gift to humanity. Mm. Now... That's a wonderful way to, to look at things. And it's too bad more of the world doesn't do that. Because, you know, the, a lot of areas in the ocean that are protected nowadays are not necessarily areas where a lot was going on. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you'll find places that have been protected because no one cared about them anyway, to begin with, let's be mm -hmm. honest. Mm -hmm. But Kiribati took an area that was heavily fished mm -hmm. and said, well, we're going we're gonna to take a break here. We're mm -hmm. going to give the ocean a rest. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's just a morally, ethically, wonderful thing to have done. Mm -hmm. And I thank you, and I thank the country for doing that. And I, as I said earlier, I feel honored for the, for the parts that I've, that I've been able to, to play in that, in, that, uh, in that narrative. But, you know, Nabus, you've been the executive director of the PIPA Trust uh, for how many years now? It's three years now. Three years now. And you've been doing a fantastic job. I'm on the board. I'm a, one of the trustees, mm. so we have, a, we have that relationship. The uh, PIPA Trust is a nonprofit organization whose sole purpose is to support the Phoenix Islands protected area, which is obviously owned by the people of Kiribati and operated by the government. And uh, one of the things that the trust has been doing uh, under your leadership mm -hmm. uh, has been something called Bring PIPA Home. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could tell us about that, that initiative and, and why we do it and what it does. Because it's very important what, you're up, what we're up to there, what you're leading that, that, that initiative. Yes. Well, Greg, I, I, was, I came in at a time when the, when, the, when the government changed. Yeah. Right. So there was a high risk that the new government would, uh, would reopen the PIP. Because uh, there, there, there wasn't a full understanding on the other side of the parliament, eh? yeah. uh, especially in the opposition. I was in the opposition also. Okay. And uh, there, there was a bit of disappointment with the, the expectations sure. that we would be getting something when the, out of closing the, uh, 
the uh, the pepper. Yeah. But uh, it hasn't it hasn't happened as was expected. Sure. This these were real perception perceptions yep. at the time. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's very interesting because uh, when I came in, that was a big challenge. And I think, Greg, you, I, I, you would remember. Uh, of course. That's when the first day I started and we, we had this uh, uh, board meeting and, and workshop. And you had to go because you were summoned by the cabinet <laughs> to explain. Uh, I do remember, yeah. Bit, uh, so <laughs> the, that was the experience. So yep. the government was, uh, we really had to make sure the government was, uh, uh, was, was on board. Yes. Especially the new government. Yes. So that was a major challenge. So that's one of the reasons why we needed to bring Pippa home. And it starts with the leadership, of course. That's uh, so there was uh, a lot of opposition people yep. that are now in the government that needed to be convinced and they needed to buy into paper because so, uh, it would have been uh, at the previous government's uh, yeah, I think property rather than this. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. That because you know, PIPA, that's abbreviation yeah. for Phoenix Islands Protected Area. Yeah. Um, Got a lot of attention worldwide. Mm -hmm. You know, the the world noticed it. There was awards given. There was accolades mm -hmm. laid out on 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 the country and on individuals involved with it. But then you'd find in the country of Kiribati itself, people didn't actually know much about it, and uh, there was a risk of, as you mentioned, yeah. when the government changing of it being, I think, mm -hmm. degazetted or mm -hmm. delisted. So. We, the trust, and you, the newly hired executive director, mm -hmm. kind of said, okay, our job is to make sure this thing continues. What's the primary risk? Well, we realized the risk now was that the people of the country and the ministers to begin with mm -hmm. didn't know about it. So, right. so Bring Pippa Home was an initiative to actually take this marquee project that the world was celebrating and bring it back to the people of Kiribati. And... You know, as I've told you before, this is kind of one of the holy grails of conservation, mm -hmm. is to find out ways that you can sustain and move initiatives into the future with minimal risk. That's right. Because a lot of times you'll have you'll have a, an ambitious, wonderful conservation initiative that is executed by the signature of a leader, ah. and then the next leader comes along and says, I'm not so crazy about that, and he changes it. But if the people... And starting with the ministers mm -hmm. are excited and committed to it. Mm -hmm. It's never going to go away because we, I, I got to share this with you. We had a politician in the United States here mm -hmm. uh, called Tip O'Neill uh -huh. from my own home state of Massachusetts. Right. And he had a famous expression. He was a speaker of our house, by the mm -hmm. way. So he was a very powerful politician. He said, all politics are local. Mm -hmm. And what he meant by that is you've got to get to the people yeah. and you've got to talk to the people. And, and that's what's political doesn't matter what your ideals are. It doesn't matter what, what kind of speech you can give. Yeah. As long as you can convince the people that you're representing of an idea, that will carry the day. By the way, we have to sort of remind people, this is a huge country in the Central Pacific right. by area, but a very small country by population. There's only 120, 130,000 people. And this area that's protected, you can't even get to it. You and I were just there, and it was a lot of gymnastics hiring private planes and boats to get out there, but the people of the nation have not been able to experience this. So it's really, for them, it's an idea. Hmm. And how do you take this distant idea and bring it home to the people of the country and make it relevant to them? Can I, before I answer that question, yeah. uh, Greg, can I just say that uh, as a politician for 15 years, 
And Were you 15 years? I didn't know you 15 okay. years. Wow. Okay. And being, being working with the people and understanding that uh, when you stand for something, you really need to, to communicate and make sure that it's re relate, relevant to the, to the people. It's always the people, the people. Eh? So that politics is about people. Right. Right. So, and that's where that all politics is local. That's, that's what why, that means. That's, yeah, what, that, yeah, that's yeah. what it means. So I, I understood that, the, the, that um, in order for the, the people of Kiribati, who are so far away from the Pippa, in order for them to fully understand the values of Pippa, they need to practice it. They need to have an experience of it. And that was a challenge. Okay. So it, it's okay uh, have, trying to convince the... Uh, the, the leadership, but in the long term, it's, yeah, you're right. Yeah. We need to tackle the, the local people. So what, how, what we need to do is to bring that home somehow to the people. And uh, we've had some initiatives, so I want to talk about those things in there. I'd like uh, you to, yeah. and, and I, I can't underscore uh, enough how important this is because mm -hmm. for the whole globe, as we get public policy created, mm -hmm to save the planet, mm -hmm. to save the oceans, which is essentially to save ourselves, mm -hmm. we have to come up with ways to make it long lasting. Mm -hmm. We have to come up with ways to convince the population of the planet that this is what has to happen. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you know, we are gonna go down the tubes. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the environment is, is degrading very rapidly. The ocean's health is on a, a steep decline. So the the, the methodology here, it's not just an academic exercise. Mm -hmm. was, yep. This is something that, that Kiribati, you and the Pippa Trust has pioneered that's mm -hmm. really important to understand. Mm -hmm. So what have you done? You're going to walk through some of the initiatives. Tell me what you've yeah. done to take this abstract idea and make it mm -hmm. relevant to the people of the nation. Uh, in 2006, uh, around August in 2006, uh, we, we, we launched the Pippa Trust Scholarship. Okay. Of course, the objective was to... Uh, to provide uh, the capacity, develop the capacity, local capacity. And uh, I think the dream is to, to maybe eventually we will have, a, uh, over the 10-year the period, we would have a, the, our own local scientists that uh, would be able to help us manage PEPA in terms right. of this, uh, the de development of the science of PEPA. Um, it was also a, a good gesture to the government that we were bringing some tangible benefit to the country by... Uh, for the first time, Pippa Trust is supporting. Uh, so an educational program. Of, yeah, educational uh, so, program. Yeah. so the first thing that people saw was, yeah. okay, we've made this, let's call it, it was a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. We've made this gift to the world, right. yeah. which is this gigantic area mm -hmm. that we're mm -hmm. protecting. And, mm -hmm. oh, look at this. We get some educational benefits back right. from it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what else has, has happened? We realized uh, that we, we needed to do a bit more. So that the not only the government and and some people maybe the educated people might respond to it's also the uh, people further down. Mm -hmm. uh, so we thought about the some transformation. Okay. So we we looked at the, the urban areas. What can we do, yeah, to transform this place, so that they we're moving towards the uh, the environment that we have in Pepper, which is a pristine environment. So it was about transformation, and that, and that that was the second thing that we moved on to. Uh, so we call it the Besser transformation. So we targeted one of the base another, three, another island, three another urban one, of the, areas. one of the islands, yeah. and one of the islands is where uh, a lot of people, where uh, most people, Vincent is yeah. uh, Besser, where we have uh, almost uh, uh, twenty thousand people living 
in an area which is only uh, barely two, uh, yeah, 1.9 square kilometers. It's amazing. Yeah. So you're talking about uh, overpopulation, you're talking about overfishing and the stress on the resources and the and also the uh, so it was quite an issue. So we we thought that what can we do? Uh, we needed to address that because it's about the the people issue again. So I'm fascinated by this Bring Pippa Home initiative, Nabus. And you know I'm from the United States, and the way I think about it, in some ways, is this: you know we have a national park system in the United States, and as a taxpayer, I support the national park system. Now, there are certain parts of our national park system I've never been to, and probably I'll never go to. Like, uh, mm-hmm. one example is Yosemite. I hope I do go there one day, but I haven't been there yet. However, my tax dollars go towards paying for the upkeep of Yosemite National Park, and I like that idea. Mm-hmm. I don't mind it at all. So, in some way, there's been this uh, buy-in by me through our political system for the maintenance of the Yosemite National Park. Now, PIPA is, is similar in some ways. It's a national initiative that's distant, and not only have few people been there, but mm-hmm. the likelihood of anybody going there is quite slim because mm-hmm. the barriers to getting there are so, are so vast. However, you've managed to come up with a new way of engaging people. It, I mean, in a sense, yes, some of their tax dollars are paying for it, but it's, it's more than that. Mm-hmm. It's become, um, as you said, a tra- I think you used the word transformation. Mm-hmm. So on the one end of the spectrum, you have the Phoenix Islands Protected Area, which is one of the most pristine ocean habitats mm-hmm. on the planet. I can mm-hmm. testify to that because mm-hmm. I've studied it. And then on the other, you mentioned the island of Basio, mm-hmm. where you have 20,000 people living yep. in an area smaller than two square kilometers. Mm-hmm. So a highly dense, urban, Pacific Island community. And what they're doing is they're looking at this idea. It's really just an idea. They've seen pictures maybe, but it's an idea of this pristine area. And they're an ocean culture, so they have an, they have an intrinsic sort of understanding and value for the oceans. And they're trying to transform their world, their urban ocean, if I've got it right, yep. their urban ocean world towards this, this standard, right? Yep. It's PIPA. Exactly. Tell me the mechanics of exactly how it works. It's very interesting because uh, we, we, it's about getting everybody together. Uh, it's a whole of government, whole of private sector, whole community approach. Yeah. And when we got together, uh, we developed what we call uh, what we call the Clean to Green to Blue Initiative. Okay. I, I know you might be familiar with the uh, the whole domain approach to ocean conservation, which is uh, rich to reef, to ocean. I've heard that. Yeah, ridge is like uh, the, uh, the, the terrestrial mountaintop, yeah, okay. and reef is the coral right. reef. So it's like the mountaintop down to the reef. Yeah. Well, we had to think of something else. Right. And our, our concept, our different, our model would, would be the clean to green to blue. And let me explain this. Uh, the clean, we have to clean up the land. Okay. Look after the, manage the waste. Yeah. And then we've got to do the, some greening also. Yep. So it's a bit of a, a home gardening, simple home gardening to take care of the, of the, uh, the, the degradable waste. Yeah. And then we uh, look after and try to contain the uh, non-degradable waste. Of course, the, uh, in doing that, you'd be able to have a blue ocean because we are trying to control you know, the, what goes off from the land to, to the sea. Right. Um, so uh, you've got to deal again with the people and the land before you can deal with the sea. So this is what we have developed. It's, I know it's, it's going to be very challenging, 
It's going to be difficult. It'll take time. But I think we're getting there. Yeah. You are. What you're doing, it sounds to me, is you've got, you basically got values mm-hmm. and, um, well, sort of ethics associated with this protected area, the Phoenix mm-hmm. Islands, and you're importing those to the mm-hmm. local community. Mm-hmm. So you're raising the standard of environmental health. Mm-hmm. And I think you're also raising kind of the energy and the emotional level of the people, aren't you? I mean, that's what I feel when I go there. Yes, that's what, that's it. You, you were there uh, in 2017 and you saw the the local women, they welcomed you because of what we have done. Yes, yes. Yeah? And they even danced to, to you. They did, they danced, uh, yeah. When they danced to you, uh, the old women, uh, there was a blessing, there was okay, a blessing. Uh, and, uh, you know, they appreciated this because, and uh, it, it's not that difficult for them to appreciate, you know, the, uh, what we're trying to do because, one of the things we did, because it's overpopulated and we have health issues and that, but once we started cleaning up, you know, diarrhea went down for some of the communities who were right? very good in uh, cleaning. Okay, okay. So uh, they saw it. So their so, standard so, yeah, of living standard, has gone up yeah, a bit. Yeah, and, in terms of health. Yeah, yeah in, terms of in health. terms of health. In terms of health. And you want to, to continue with this. But it's a lot of waste, though. We have to manage, especially the solid waste. Yeah. You've got the ship break. You've got the uh, scrap metal to look after. Well, I, again, I can't underscore how important it is we find these strategies in our societies globally that mm-hmm. that we can that we can use to connect people to the natural world mm-hmm. and to ensure that we we maintain that natural world. Mm-hmm. And you've done it sounds practically with mm-hmm. some some health benefits to the population. And, and as I said, I can tell you. One time when I went to the, one of your Bring Pippa Home initiatives, this young girl walked alongside us, and she found out that I was on the Pippa board of the trust, and she said, uh, oh, I am so excited about Pippa. Mm. And I said, oh, that's really nice, young lady. I'm yeah. glad you're excited about Pippa. And she said, I am really excited about Pippa, she said. And I said, well, that's wonderful. And I said, why are you so excited about Pippa? Because I am excited. She said, I don't know, but I'm just really excited. excited. <laughs> and building that kind of energy is how you change. Yeah. When you're overwhelmed, Greg, it's very difficult for you just to find the words. So you just... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I think that, that that's how you move society, though, mm-hmm. is you, you move the emotional... Mm-hmm. Uh, interest the the energy and that's 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 when things really really do change. Kiribati is showing real leadership in uh, not only creating this vast protected area for the benefit of the planet. And by the way, if anybody listening has ever eaten tuna, mm-hmm. chances are you've eaten tuna that came out of the country of Kiribati, mm-hmm. because uh, most of the world's tuna comes from the South Pacific, and most of the South Pacific tuna comes from Kiribati waters. So thank you for feeding the world. <laughs> uh, can I say an add to that, uh, Greg? Because, uh, and they will continue to eat that into the future because we have a natural farm in Pippa. Yes, you have. Now, yeah. that brings me to another point that I wanted to discuss with you. And I think one of the challenges we have today in, in sustainability and in managing the resource, resources on our planet is vocabulary. And if you say, I'm going to make a protected area, uh, you know, that rings well to some ears. Um, but to other ears, it might ring as restriction. Like, you're going to stop me from using resources that I perhaps depend on. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to think about new kinds of vocabulary. Like, the Phoenix Islands protected area is a protected area, yes, 
but it's also, as you just pointed out, a fish factory. Mm. And right. I, I like to use the word like fish, yeah, factory, fish factory or regeneration zone mm. or rejuvenation mm. zone. Because mm-hmm. if you go to a country like Kiribati, and there are other ones in the world that uh, people depend every day on the ocean, and I think you're the one that pointed out to me that most people don't have a refrigerator in Kiribati. That's right, yeah. But they've got the ocean. And the ocean is their refrigerator. Mm-hmm. So when they want to have a fresh piece of fish, they don't go to the freezer. They don't go to the refrigerator. They go out to the ocean and they pull it out of the ocean. And and therefore, they're, they're depending on the ocean in a very daily, visceral, nutritional way. And the fact that you can create a link, not a restriction, but a link, a functional link, is, the, I think, the best way that we can go forward in the world. Because if you go to a country and you say, hey, you want to create all these restrictions around you for the ocean, mm-hmm. they're going to go, well, no way. But if you say, hey, how would you like a fish factory? They're going to go, hey, tell me more about that. Or how would you like a, a regeneration zone? How would you like more jobs? How would you like more mm. international attention? That's another thing that Kiribati has done is fulfilled many treaty obligations. The, the world runs on treaties when it comes to different countries working together. And there's a whole cluster of them that you and I are familiar with that have to do with conservation and have to do with natural resources. And countries sign these treaties, Mm -hmm. and then they're supposed to achieve the targets in the treaties. The world currently has a target to protect 10% of the ocean by 2020. Mm -hmm. Currently, we're at about 6%, I believe, maybe 6.5%. And Kiribati has done its part. You've protected 12% of of your EEZ. So you're really well on the way to contributing to this global goal. So I'd like to come back to, if you don't mind, this is a little controversial, but this is what's going to be interesting to people and what's important is climate change. Mm-hmm. There's two dimensions to climate change. One is mitigation, which mm-hmm. is like stopping the, the action. And mm-hmm. I, I think, I hope <laughs> most of our listeners are aware that the planet is getting warmer mm-hmm. and it's getting warmer because of the greenhouse gases that we're putting into the atmosphere along with some other, other factors. And the other one is adaptation, which is adapting to the change. So mm-hmm. ideally, your country wants to have a mitigation strategy, which is to stop the warming, mm-hmm. but then an adaptation strategy, which is to sort of deal with the changing climate. Now, Kiribati being so low to the sea level, you said one or two meters above sea level, mm-hmm. depending on the ocean, which is the primary heat sink on the planet, it's mm-hmm. the primary driver of, of our climate, you know, the sea levels are rising. There's no question about that. That's right. And how does PIPA fit into this whole discussion about climate change and adaptation and mitigation? Well, I, I think PIPA right now is is more of a, an adaptation strategy. You're a scientist, Greg, yeah. and you know exactly what's in there. We believe in the corals and everything, and they're, they're surviving. So it's going to offer the, the, the world the, the possibilities for saving the, the world in the in the event as to the water is rising through uh, climate change and that. Um, those are the things that I think the, uh, we're offering also to the world. Yeah, You are. The ocean actually has an immune system. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean it has a way of dealing with change. It has a way of dealing mm-hmm. with insults. And a healthy immune system mm-hmm. for your body mm-hmm. would require your body to be rested mm-hmm. and to be, to be in good shape. Mm-hmm. And it actually is the same with the ocean. If the ocean is rested, that is, if you're not stressing it too much Mm. with overfishing Mm. or with coastal development or Mm. pollution, 
it enables it to have kind of a healthy immune system to deal with other insults mm-hmm. like heating, mm-hmm. like sea level mm-hmm. rise. And I do agree with you as a scientist that the Phoenix Islands Protected Area is an excellent adaptation strategy. Mm-hmm. You're giving the ocean and you're giving the nation the mm-hmm. best shot mm-hmm. at, at adapting to this rapidly changing mm-hmm. uh, environment that we're in. But I can't move off this subject without making a, a point here, and this is my own personal point, and that mm-hmm. is that uh, the world has been on kind of a carbon party for the last 150 yeah. years. And most of the benefits of this carbon party, which is burning fossil fuels, has been delivered front and center to the United States, to parts of Asia, to Europe. But the effects of this carbon party, the heating of the planet, Mm -hmm. the heating of the ocean, the knock-on effects there and the rising sea levels has been impacting countries that had very little to do (laughs) with contributing to this carbon party, with burning the fossil fuels. And I feel that there's an obligation that the countries responsible for the problem should be bearing more of the costs of the the problems that's been created. So I'm not going to put you on the spot here because I know it's a highly politicized discussion, but I just wish you and the country the best when it comes to dealing with this and, you know, your works in PIPA and the sea level rise and all that is 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 quite a challenge, but I I think that it's 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 looking it's looking better, because the healthier the ocean is, the better it can adapt to these insults. Yeah, can I say this, uh, Greg? Because uh, even though we up to now we're not able to influence the carbon issue and everything, we're still looking into the future and particularly into opportunities where we would be able to engage in mitigation. Okay, and I can say this to you: should there be an opportunity. Uh, I'm sure Kiribati will take that opportunity. Okay. I kind of want to circle back now to Mm kind of almost where we started. Kiribati culture did not have a written language when European contact occurred, which I think was the middle part of the 19th century. However, you have other ways of communicating information. I mean, one way is dance. You referred to dance earlier. A dance will tell a story, right? Uh, As has been explained to me, when something something happens or there's information that wants to be transferred, the dance will be created around that, that idea. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a privilege and it's a, it's a particular skill to dance. Yeah. yeah. It's also a particular skill to be able to, you know, to, to translate, the, the, to carry that message from the song, from the lyrics and the music into action. Yeah? Like if you're trying to recall something, is there a song that comes to mind or a dance that you've seen? The dance, that I, the, the song that I would hear it would be the, the most traditional uh, dance is more like a, it's it's not like singing, it's like a, yeah it's it's the, the old people it'll be only two people singing, with no music, and it'll be more or less like chanting but they're like in a controlled manner. It'd be oh, really? a man and a woman or even just a single person, and he'll be holding his ear like this, and he'll be more or less meditating and making the sound. Most of the words we we don't understand also the, the, the these days, but you can. When they tell you what it means, it's a it's a stories of stories of the ocean, the stories of uh, families, and wow. stories of uh, problems and our culture and everything. So these songs they communicate something, but you're not even sure what the words are, but you get the meaning. Is that what? Yes, that's right. I'll tell you this uh, story, but it happened particularly on on this one particular island in the Bayang. Yeah, this is a, the the north of Tarawa, and uh, the the old days and. Many years ago, several years ago, um, this lady was lost in, in the sea because of the fighting in the in Air Island. Yep. Because we had warfare and everything okay. all the time. And uh, the father put her on the canoe 
and let her off, and she floated in the current, and she landed in, in the Bayang. And she stayed in this village called uh, the, the Porno, okay. which is a very special uh, islet in, the, in, the, in that island. And when she was there, they next they had visitors that came from her original island. Yeah. Apparently she was uh, of a chiefly line. But she was in the in the island like a just a, more or less like a servant. But when the her family arrived, they didn't really know that she was there because she was a kid. Now she was uh, maybe in her forties. Okay. So they had this um, again. We go back to the Banab. Yes. The visitors were welcomed into the village, and there was there was communication and exchange between the visitors and the and the local people. And as soon as the visitors uh, had their speeches and that, she responded from behind because there was nothing in the village. And she started singing. And she was telling the story of where she came from. And that's when the village realized that she was the daughter of the chief from the island where the visitors had come from. Oh, wow. So that's, yeah. Now, what does that story tell you? It tells you something about humility. Right. It's humility, yeah, and you wait until the right time. Okay, yeah, it's well, about perseverance as well. It teaches those values. Yes, I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. So instead of her prancing around the village saying, "Hey, no. I'm from a chiefly," That's she right. just there was no point in it. There was no point in it because uh, she didn't have the power. That's what I'm talking about. Is stories like that have a way of communicating, I think, to to young people and to continue the transmission of knowledge and ideas and things that are really important. Mm-hmm. Another note, I'll recall the time that you and I were in North Tarawa, and I noticed all the mounds that, oh, yeah. that had been, and it was different. It was like people had been digging all over the place. And tell me that story. That's a good story. Digging of the uh, looking for the, the crap? No, for the mouse. For the mouse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, this was the, 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 the princess that came from... Uh, from apparently from Samoa. Right, right. But she didn't come. She was uh, taken by the the village people. They they had to go to Samoa to uh, to get the lady to, that, mar- that to marry the to king of the village. War, right? That happened between. Oh Samoa. yeah, they, yeah. They, they they have a lot of expeditions, uh, but they, each expedition they did failed because they got killed by the Samoans until they got the best team. They sent the best team, and they, apparently they were successful. They went through all the tests and everything. And they were able to bring back them. So they captured uh, the, the princess. Captured the princess. Okay, what happened uh, next? And when she arrived, uh, yes, the king couldn't see the, wasn't allowed to see the, the woman, uh, of course, because uh, it was forbidden, of course. Right. Uh, because if it, he had to give her a few days, and then he can he can touch her, he can see her. So he can see her, he can look at her, but he can't touch her. Right. So she would be going to this lake and she, yeah. in Buwariki and she would be uh, having bathed the, and uh, the guy would be peeping of course and he wants to jump for the lady yeah. but he couldn't mm-hmm. until uh, he couldn't hold on so he just jumped <laughs> yeah. but as soon as he jumped to the lady she turned into a mouse. <laughs> and of course, when, when you're a mouse, you're very small. Right, right, right. And she so, was a white mouse, so, right? So, so when they, they chased her and among the bush and everything, and then they had to dig also the holes. Trying to find her. Trying to find her. 
And as a result, of course, you've been doing the Yeah, those, 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 those holes, holes are really yeah. the result of people looking for her. Oh, that's what that's our story. That's the story. Yeah. That's your story. I, 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 was, I wasn't there. And but, you're sticking to but it. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Nabus, I used to think indigenous knowledge was mm-hmm. really important. I've never doubted that. But I always thought it was kind of quaint and like it belonged in a museum. But I've since learned that it's not quaint. It's actually important and that we have a lot to learn from it. A couple of stories you've told here, they transmit principles and knowledge that are, that are really important. And I, I want to touch on something else about your culture. Mm-hmm. It's uh, technically, in anthropological terms, it's called a renunciative society. And I didn't know that until I talked to an anthropology friend of mine, and I said, what's that mean? And he said, oh, it's really simple, Greg. It means that people in the culture of Kiribati and many Pacific Island countries, they renounce their belongings to the community to the betterment of the community. And I said, oh, you mean they give stuff away? And he said, no, no, it's not giving stuff away. You never owned it to begin with. And I said, okay, tell me more. And he said, well, it's it's a way to balance the resources. It means you're never gonna go take too much fish out of the ocean because you're not gonna amass a big fortune. There's no point. But you will take enough to give it away to those people that need it. And I realized, boy, what a fantastic principle because it, it encourages sustainability. It encourages, you know, sort of social equity within the within the community. And wouldn't it be something if we had UN treaties that had renunciative principles built into them? I think that'd be a great idea. That'd be a great idea. It's it's all about global citizenship. And we 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 were. It's it's always been us. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you'd see it uh, more into the, the north as you go to the northern part of Kiribati, where uh, some of the islands they go to extremes. Like uh, you'd be cooking your food, and you have you you have you cook your food the big pot. Yeah. You'd be cooking baby tuna, so you're boiling it, and the people in the your neighbors, all the neighbors, they they can come. They have they can. They, it's okay for them. They can come and and take the the, the juice. You can eat the, the flesh, but they'll they'll also oh really uh, get so from you. so they have the right to come and and have the juice. Well, it's okay. It's okay. It's not like yeah. you force yourself. Right, right. But it's like it's acceptable. Right? Yeah, it's acceptable. Yeah, please, yeah. you come. There's plenty of food. So yeah. when I cook, I didn't. I don't just cook for myself. Yeah. I also cook for my community as well. Yeah. Of course, I'll have the best. Yeah. But they can also share. When they catch fish, then I. I can also help myself to yeah, the food. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. Mm-hmm. If we had principles like that built into international relationships, instead of countries that don't need it amassing food, amassing metals, amassing mm-hmm. oil, mm-hmm. amassing whatever mm-hmm. the product is, if we, I'm not talking about global communism or anything, I'm just mm-hmm. talking about getting it right. Because <laughs> yeah. things are not right the way the world currently operates. You know, mm-hmm. We need to figure this out. And the other part about indigenous knowledge, and I would call it indigenous science, is the understanding that you and your ancestors have gotten about the ocean from living alongside it these mm-hmm. many thousands of mm-hmm. years. I'm a scientist. I'm a modern you know, Western scientist, let's say. But I've gone to the village in Bariki, the, in North Tarawa, and you know, I've learned from the, the people there some things about goatfish I never knew. You know, right, yeah. Because the, who better to learn about animals than the people that have like, been living with them you know, side by side? I'm going to put you on the spot here. Are there any, are there any natural history tidbits you could share with me about Kiribati's knowledge, um, whether it's uh, from 
marine mammals, dolphins, or fish, or crabs? Is there anything in your growing Let, let's up? Let's talk about a shark. Shark. The shark. Okay. Right, let's talk about a shark. A shark we treat it as a human being or so. Oh. Even though we eat it sometimes. Okay. It's uh, we don't eat it all the time, but when we do need it for when it when it's needed, then we go fishing. The way we catch it is also with respect, because it's your you're calling him or her. And when you kill it, there's also a particular way of killing it. You can't kill it with a metal, metal, any metallic stuff. It's got to be a club, wooden club. It's, yeah. Wow. So, and it's also, you've also got to hit it, particularly in the area where she, she or he likes to be hit. Wow. Okay, now, she, when you put, you catch that, and when you bring it to the land, it's got to be also respected. So it'll be taken, there'll be a mat laid, and he'll be laid, or she'll be laid, facing the east, like a dead man or dead woman. You can't do the guttering first until you've given And this is just dollar. sharks? Yeah, this is shark. Do you have any idea why, why sharks are treated differently than grouper? Or? Because uh, in our legend, there were two men who once lived in Buariki. Okay. Yeah. And there was a, a, the, one of them was, the, was a, is a, the person that eventually became shark, a shark. Yeah. Okay. He went away because they, they were trying to outwit each other oh. during the, competing for when they uh, go fishing. So there's so this, the, the shark was the the shark man was a was the, the tricky guy. Whenever the other guy went fishing, he would go into the water and snap the uh, the bait so that the guy doesn't catch fish. Oh, so this this story is about so you don't want to risk the possibility of killing this guy. No, or somebody else that maybe turned into a shark. The story was that they uh, there were two men. Yeah, but one of them we used to turn and set himself into a shark to uh, uh, play tricks on the on the other guy who when, once he goes fishing. Okay. So that he, he comes back doesn't catch any fish. All right. So one day the the other guy realized oh there must be this guy. So he prepared next time we went fishing. Okay. So he caught him and he hit him. <laughs> he did. He, he didn't kill him. But when he came back, and the guy never said anything, and he didn't come out of the house because apparently he had a, a lump on his forehead. <laughs> oh, from when he was because he, he was hit, hit when he was a the, shark. By the wood. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. And that's that's when they uh, they departed. The shark wouldn't stay because he knew that eventually okay. he'd be killed. So he went into the ocean. Okay. And he okay. stayed there. So, but uh, eventually they there was an intermarriage. Okay. Between the the. The descendants of the guy who stayed on the land and and the shark. Okay, all right. So that's so cool. Yeah, I heard also from a Kiribati friend once that there's a belief that every person has a corresponding animal in the ocean that looks like that'd them. be the dolphin. The dolphin. The dolphin. Okay. That, right. That'd be the dolphin. Yes. All right. Yeah. So there's a there's a dolphin swimming around out there that looks yeah. like you, kind yeah. of. Yeah. This is what what happens. So they. they Sometimes they have also particular seasons or, the, or special times in the year. This would be in, in, in particularly in the northern part of Kiribati, but that is where the Minister of Environment also is, right, is right. from. Alexander, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the, 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 there'll be a family, there'll be somebody with a skill and is able to call the dolphins oh, I've heard onto about land. This. Yeah. Or maybe a major function. They, yeah. And uh, he would go to sleep. And they'll put all the mats on top of him. And he'd be going, apparently, he would be going and taking all the, leading the, 
the school of uh, dolphins onto the land. And the people will go and meet them and greet them. And you'd be looking for somebody that, eh, the dolphin, that, that's your match, uh, that looks like you. So, like, yep. you're, you're a dolphin, and you're his, his man or his woman. And you'll take that uh, now, onto the land. you know, to me, Nabus, mm. that says we are connected to the ocean. That's right, yeah. Which we are. Mm-hmm. The Humanity is connected to the ocean. We mm. depend upon the ocean. Now, there's a story mm-hmm. that reinforces that idea mm-hmm. within the minds of young people that hear it, within the minds of adults mm-hmm. that hear it. And that's the importance to me of that story is that, mm-hmm. is that the ocean's important, we're connected to it, we have to take yeah. care of it. Yeah. And that gets back to this idea that we need to start to illustrate and emphasize and import this kind of, this kind of knowledge into, uh, into global affairs more. You know, there's the, uh, just to throw out another example, this isn't a Kiribati example, but it's an American Indian example which is the Iroquois nation mm-hmm. has a constitution that they uh, they developed prior to any contact with uh, Europeans. And within that, they have something called a seven-generational rule, which me- any decision the elders in the tribe make has to be good for seven generations to come. And what a great idea that is, huh? I mean, for example, if a logging company came in and said, hey, we want to cut down all your trees, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're going to get a big fat check this year, but you're not going to have trees for another 100 years, mm-hmm. the tribal leaders would not allow that because it would be good for them, but it's not going to be good for their children or their grandchildren or go seven generations into the future. Imagine if we had those kind of principles built into our political system instead of short-term, three-year, or you know, one-term kind of time frames. No, it, but it, it's certainly be... Uh... Uh, interesting to see what might happen. I mean, it's uh, something we uh, continue to hope for. Now, Bus, I want to thank you so much for your uh, for your time and uh, for all that you've shared with me uh, to, and our listeners. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? And by the way, this won't be your last time. I'm going to I'm going to have you on the show every time you're in town. Uh, but is there anything else that you wanted to mention now? Or I I, I just wanted to go back to you know the the, the bring paper home. Uh, initiative and one of the things that we uh, also done is the uh, uh, doing the uh, creating the uh, mini purposes throughout the Kiribati. Yeah. Yes, and we've we've done that. So we're, we've got a few islands that are setting up there. Um, and some of the islands is uh, the closure of the whole fishing in the reef and that. It's just the um, targeting particular areas where they can uh, have it, like uh, for spawning grounds. So that they can have more fish to yeah. eat. Fish factories. Yeah. The fish factories, small yeah. mini, mini pepper factories. Sir. Yeah. You're right. So that there's been the creation of small fish mm. factories. Yes. Which are, are they called pippa? They will have their different names. Yeah. Yeah. But it's part but, of. But the, but say uh, pippa will be engaged in partnering also with the, uh, the government. Uh, okay. That is in some areas it'll be like uh, the Ministry of Fisheries initiative, like the community-based fisheries management. Yeah. But of course, pippa will be there too. Okay. And then supporting that activity. One of the things that uh, comes to mind also is uh, the, uh, learning from the the pippa model in terms of the uh, the sustainable financing mechanism. Yeah. That's one of the areas where we could look at in terms of uh, sustaining what we're trying to do in bringing pepper home. So what do we do for the urban areas? Should we have also a funding mechanism that is sustainable into the future? And likewise also in the, in the out islands where 
focus. In other words, right. conservation, sustainable development. Mm -hmm. I like to use the word regenerative, regenerative. development. It's complicated. Yeah. 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 We we have a lot of a lot of things to think about: financing, policy, public education, mm -hmm. science, and um, they're all kind of bundled together mm -hmm. and uh, are important in terms of you know moving forward in the world and. And the PIPA Trust, the Phoenix Islands Protected Area Trust, uh, you know, under your leadership, mm -hmm. has been grappling with all this mm -hmm. spectacularly well. And I want to, mm -hmm. you know, thank you for all that you've done in that regard. But can so, I say this? It's not just me, uh, Greg. It's a, it's really the passion. Yeah. It's the passion, and you you don't have the passion when you don't have the, uh, the belief. So, and I believe in this. And uh, you know, it's it's partnering with everybody else and uh, like people to people communication, and having them also experience what you're experiencing. That uh, I think uh, would make a difference. Yeah. No, I, you're very humble, yeah. and thank mm -hmm. you for acknowledging everybody else. But this is your full-time job, and, mm -hmm. and I appreciate all mm -hmm. that you do in that regard. Mm -hmm. And um, please come back to LA a lot, and uh, we'll find more opportunities to get the word out. Well, you can count on that. I will. Okay, definitely. Great. All right. <laughs> thank you very much. And, uh, and thank you, too. You betcha.